Welcome back. I'm Joshua Thompson. And I'm Angela Brown. And this is Melanated Moments in Classical Music. Angela, I've known you for for a while. Yeah. A few years. Yes. A few years. And um, if there's one thing I know about you, it's that a lot of people know you, but you don't really toot the horn. You're big on the <laughs> humble brag, right? Oh, Joshua. See, see, that's what I'm talking about. Big on the humble brag. Because the answer to the question was yes. Oh. But what <laughs> I want to do or what we're going to do with this episode is really special is it's not every day that we get an opportunity to listen to individuals who've had a huge impact and continue to make a big impact on the world of classical music. And you mm-hmm. are one of those people, not just for me, but for so many folks. Because I'm going to tell you straight up, growing up here in Indianapolis, mm-hmm. I love this city. But there's not a lot of us when it comes to the classical arts. Well, I'm a trumpet player and a pianist, and I can count on one hand how many times I have seen us in an orchestra. Yeah, and that's it, true. It leaves us wanting, and it yeah. kind of leaves us wondering. Well, in classical this, music, in classical music for mm. sure. I, I'd like to make that distinction. It leaves mm. us wondering sometimes: Are we meant to do this? Is this something I'm supposed to do? And if the answer is yes, which it always is, yes. Who do we look to? Where do we go? How do we figure out what the ropes are? Mm-hmm. And you're sitting right here, so. Ready or not, you are our subject I for mel- you got next <laughs> for melanated moments, melanated moments, and I'm also really excited because to kind of tell this entire story, mm-hmm. you brought in your agent. Well, not on purpose. <laughs> not on purpose. Uh, Janet and I have been working together on a handshake agreement since 1996, and she just happened to be in town when we were doing this podcast. But not- Janet, welcome. Oh, thank yes, you, Ms. Janet Gerald. So, how are you? I am great. Glad to be back in Indianapolis. It's, a, it's not bad of a city. It's a little rainy, but you know, it's still oh, it's still I right. love Indianapolis. Good. Now, you drove all the way from Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville. That's right. So, we're going to trace all this together between myself and Angela and Janet and Nashville in just a bit. But first, I kind of mm-hmm. want to lay the groundwork and just figure some things out. Let's get to know the life and times of the legendary Angela Brown. Oh, please. Come on now. <laughs> I'm just, see, you humble brag, and I'm going uh, to lay it out there for the folks. Okay. Let's start from the beginning. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> well, I was born and raised here in Indianapolis, Indiana. My grandfather was a Baptist minister. My father uh, worked at Chrysler, and my mother was a, a nurse, and then she was also a singer and an artist. And I got the singing, and my brother, my oldest brother, George, got the art. But how I got into music, I always say that I sang for the opening of an envelope when I was here in Indianapolis. If if there was an event that was going on that they needed a vocalist, they called me. And I did a lot of musical theater here in Indianapolis at Mm. Civic Theater. I I sang all through high school at Christmas Addicts High School. So I've always been performing. You come from that lineage of Christmas Addicts. For those of you mm-hmm. who don't know, it was like the school that you went to if you were black. If you were black, up in Indianapolis, that's where you th- went. that was the school you went to. And a ridiculous amount of phenomenal musicians and artists came out of that program, Exactly, correct? and we had very good professors and teachers because mm-hmm. those people that were so learned and so prolific in whatever genre or, or career, if they were African-American, the best of the cream of the crop was teaching at Christmas Addicts High School. So it just went to show that anybody that the greats were teaching were going to make great students. And that's what and came did. out of Christmas Addicts. And they did. Yeah. 
to jump forward when it came to classical music. Mm-hmm. I always say that opera chose me. I didn't choose it. Were, uh, you, were you resistant to opera? Well, you know, I definitely had been exposed to it because in grammar school at that time, we had field trips right. and we went to the opera and we went to the symphony mm-hmm. and the ballet. And that's what was happening back when I was in school. Now, not so much now. Right. But I didn't think I could see myself as a classical singer, a, a, a soprano, a screechy soprano. Which, you know, I say soprano. screechy because I couldn't relate. Mm. Because my diet in my home, my mother on Saturday mornings turned the big piece of furniture stereo on. We were dusting to barefooting. Yes, barefooting. Yes. Da, 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 da. <laughs> and then listening to some of her old 78s, you know. Mm-hmm. And listening to Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Stevie Wonder. And, I feel like we you grew know. up in the same house. Yeah. And so we were that's what we heard in the house. And then she would take us to Starlight Musicals, mm-hmm. and we would watch all these different musicals that would come through Indianapolis or be performed by locals here in Indianapolis. And then she would take us to Sam Subway. <laughs> <laughs> and get us a corned beef sandwich with a pickle. Okay. On an egg roll. Child, I remember that. You lived for that. Yes, you? I lived for that. I love that. But like I said, opera chose me. I didn't choose it. I ended up going to Oakwood University in Huntsville, Alabama, mm-hmm. and started to study with my teacher, Ginger Beasley, there. And I started off as a mezzo-soprano. And she was also a student of Virginia Zayani mm-hmm. that was at IU, Indiana University. Well, once Mrs. Zayani heard me sing, she said, Angela is not a mezzo-soprano. She is a dramatic soprano. The blood of Verdi courses through her veins. Then she looks at me and she says, darling, when you are done with ginger, you come to me. I take you in my studio. How do you respond to that? I brought my... Took yourself to... Took myself to (laughs) IU. Now, I will say once I got to IU, I thought I was going to be a little fish in a big pond. But opportunities opened up for me quickly there. How so? I just think it was my time. Fair enough. I have always said, especially to singers that are, you know, working so hard to have this career and they feel like they're just spinning their wheels and they're Mm -hmm. not getting anywhere. I say, you just have to be patient, keep your head down, keep your nose clean, and just do good work. And I felt like I was doing good work and making myself prepared for opportunities that had not presented themselves to me. Whether you knew they were out there or not, the work is what matters. It's what I wanted to do. Right on. It was what I wanted to do. I was too stupid to stop. (laughs) I just kept doing it. And uh, opportunities just came to me. And I ended up going around with the dean of the School of Music, Charles Webb, when I auditioned for their cattle call auditions to be put in all the different operas there for the year. I was number 120. I sang Visi Darte. They taped those cattle call auditions that day. Janet, my agent, actually taped those cattle no, call no, auditions. I played them back for Dean oh, Webb. Oh, you played, you were the one. I played them back for, I would okay. sit in his office and he would say, next. And we'd fast forward to the next thing. And then I, w- I was, yeah. So go ahead. Oh, yeah. wow. Why were you and Dean Webb? I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. He asked me if I wanted to come in and help. So I loved watching those cattle calls. That's it. 
So I was I was working the machine. Yeah. And so then what the way the story has been told to me is that he was filling out some paperwork and then he heard my voice and he looks up and he yells to Pam, his secretary, and says, Who's that? And she said, oh, that's number 120. He was like, I can see this number 120. <laughs> like, what is that? her name? <laughs> well, yeah. And she was like, oh, Angela Brown. Well, Indiana University has very experienced, famous yes, teachers. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And wow. one of them, the, the one teacher that he uh, was working with fell ill, and he had to do this concert. And he said, get Angela on the phone. And so they called me up. She couldn't do it. He asked if I could come and do it, pull together, you know, a few songs. He would play some stuff, and then I would sing what I knew, Mm -hmm. you know, and that would be the concert. And I remember the first one was at the Honeywell House. I remember standing in that living room, and they had chairs, you know, all around. And when I stood in the crook of the piano, the next person's knees were, like, right there. This was the closest, The most intimate of all intimate. intimate. Yes. (laughs) Nerve-wracking? Nerve-wracking. I'm sure. So you have those those opportunities that continue at IU. You're you're getting this glimpse of what it can be like, wetting your appetite just a little bit Mm -hmm. for this. How do you go from that, those intimate opportunities where you're getting a glimpse to actualization? Wow, that's a good question, and I'll answer it this way. And I've already said it. I was too stupid to stop. (laughs) I just kept going, and I always was looking for opportunities for myself. Going from IU, I did a lot of creative planning. I was at IU and had to go to New York to sing and a competition. The Nielsen? Yes. The Nielsen. Janet was pregnant. She was my agent by then. Mm. Because let me let me go back a little bit. So after I met Janet and I had gone out to California, I had a week of residency at Stanford University and I met a lady by the name of Helen Bing. And she was one of the benefactors of Stanford University's musical programming there. Actually, of all of Stanford. Okay. She and Peter were. There you go. There you go. Mm -hmm. Of all of Stanford University. So you were rubbing the right elbows. Well, I was rubbing some elbows. And so. Amazing woman. Yes. Definitely. And so she was, after she heard me sing, she asked me, do you have a CD? I was like, no, ma'am, I don't. I was like, no, I don't have any money to be doing a CD. Mm-hmm. I was still in school. And she says, well, I'm going to go away for the month of February. And when I get back, I will send a check so that you can start doing a CD. Oh, wow. With Dean Webb. Just like that. Just like that. And I think in May, Dean Webb called me up and said, Angela, I have a check here sitting on my desk from Helen Bing. We have to do a project. And so that was my first project, and Miss Janet Gerald was the producer of that project. And so that's how we, and I went to her soon after, because remember Janet said she was uh, doing her master's right, at, in arts in administration. Arts administration. Sure. So she was learning to be a manager, and I said, well, why don't you manage me? She said, I thought you would want some big management in New York. I said, if it's not broke, why fix it? It seems like it's the same thing. You seem to be connected. Let's get this shiggity going. <laughs> So, <laughs> Janet, this was back in in ninety six. Yeah. Yes. Well, we we made the demo CD in ninety five. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's talk about this this career that Angela that you have that 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 Janet you are in partnership with as well. For me, I remember <laughs> I distinctly remember Angela reading in newspapers and seeing on the news that you're at the Met. 
This yeah. is in 2004. You're at the Metropolitan yeah. Opera. And not just in any role, not just on the stage, commanding the stage is Aida. Mm-hmm. So how does that happen? Where does that partnership go from making demos to all of a sudden we're at the Met? Wow. Janet? I'm going to go back to what Angela has already said. Too we, stupid to stop. Too stupid to stop. <laughs> stupid to Both stop. of us. A lot of times not knowing mm. what we what the heck we, we were, were doing. doing was actually a blessing. Yes. And I'm going to say this because we are nice people <laughs> <laughs> with integrity. Yes. yes. And being kind goes a long yes. way. It really seems like it. This mm-hmm. is an industry for, for any way that you want to divvy it out. It seems super cutthroat. It seems very heartless. It seems very cold. And so it almost and what you seem is what you get. Yeah. It's the truth. So the Met with Aida happens. And so, and, and again, what's next? Well, you know, that's a big jump. It is a huge jump. It's a big it is. jump. It is. Because there's a whole lot that happened between IU and the Metropolitan Opera. Mm-hmm. Okay. Would and from the Metropolitan Opera, opera until, until now. now. Right, right. Because I would not want anyone to think that that's, it was an easy win. It was not an easy win. But when you are too stupid to stop, you don't know how hard you're working. And you are having a great time mm-hmm. doing it. So that's the important part, too. That's an important You have to enjoy it. Well, she this. says, so be stupid and have fun. Be stupid and have fun. <laughs> exactly. That's a motto but I can definitely prepared. get behind. But be prepared. Be prepared it's about being prepared with no opportunity than to have the opportunity and, and not be, be prepared. My parents used to say that all the time. And they yeah. still do. They still yes. do. Yes. And so after four tries, the Metropolitans say, come and audition for main stage. Doing that, becoming a cover, after becoming a cover, becoming a cover butt, Mm -hmm. (laughs) where you are Mm -hmm. sitting backstage waiting for any opportunity to jump in. I was never plotting anybody's demise, trying to slip them a little tryptophan turkey sandwich and make them a little sleepy and they can't go out and sing. A little Mickey action. No, I never, never even thought it. I want everybody to have their opportunities because I felt like mine was coming. And then having that call to come and being prepared. Ready for, for that it. opportunity, ready, because it came in the form of a rehearsal where the, the soprano got sick. Then I sang that Aida, did a cover Aida that afternoon, got on the train, rode 45 minutes back to my home in the Bronx, turned on my phone, and Janet yelling in the phone, Angela, what did you do? The Metropolitan Opera just called and offered you a contract for 2004 where you will have your debut built in. Wow. What did you do? So she said, I, I was did just Angela. working. Yeah, I was working. I was working. <laughs> you know? So I went from covering at the Met to singing at the Met to singing on the stages of the world. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we have that specific performance at the Met, but we do have a recording from your performance with, I believe it's Greg Baker in Philadelphia. Thank <laughs> you. 
Sprema le spalle plato sul cavallo le Most definitely, at last, an Aida, right? <laughs> Probably one of the That's highlights, I'm sure, right? Oh, definitely. So, from there, where did you where did you go from there? How did you continue to evolve as an artist and, well, and shape your role? Things got crazy. We, <laughs> I started singing. You know, you 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 become an artist, and you become you get on that train. Overwhelmingly crazy, or a good crazy? Uh, both. Okay. Mm-hmm. Both. Mm-hmm. Because you're going from city to city, score to score, role to role, old and new, mm-hmm. and then still trying to have a life. During that time, I met and married my husband. I buried both of my parents. I had a couple of dogs. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, um, life. Life, life mm-hmm. happens. And someone said to me, well, how do you deal with, you know, losing your parents on the road or whatever? I was like, it's life. You know, my parents, when they were both in hospice, they said, Angie, we don't want you to come off the road we because all you're going to do is come here and sit and look at us. And stay. And stay. We want you to keep it moving. So when both of my parents passed, I was singing. Mm-hmm. And I just came off the road, did what I paid my respects, did what I had to do. I was able to spend time with them a little bit. And then... Got back on the road because that's what they worked so hard for you to be for able, me able to, do. to be yeah. able to do. So yeah. I couldn't disappoint them. So I <laughs> kept it moving, and of course I've had to deal with um, the grief of that, and it does show up. You have to take time for yourself, and I remember it showing up <laughs> when I was doing Il Trovatore uh, Atlanta. in Atlanta, and I was working with Maestro Eduardo Mueller. Oh, mm. I call him my uh, Maestro Granddaddy. He has passed on now since then, but I couldn't get this one aria together, Tuve Dry, which is I think just Verdi, just. Being, being a nut. just being being a nut <laughs> and having too many things to, to say the same thing, mm. and I couldn't get it together. They decided to open that cut, and this is another uh, uh, lesson: all singers learn the whole score, regardless if they say they're gonna cut it. Because baby, when they open a cut and you don't know that music, you in them practice rooms learning it before you got to go on. So that's what had happened to me, and I was just overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed. But uh, life happens, and you just keep it rolling. And then you start to think beyond the career. Actually, early on, Janet and I, she was pregnant with her first baby. She was married to Malcolm, and we were in their car driving from Bloomington, Indiana. The big old Oldsmobile. Yeah, from Bloomington, <laughs> Indiana to New York City. So oh, my gosh. I could what say, a drive now. Uh-huh. No. Yeah, it was crazy. None of us had any money. We well, had I, no get money it. I get it. We had to get there. You do what you have to do you while do. you were building. Every time. And that's the passion part. I was willing to do whatever I had to do to get where I am today and beyond. 
because I'm still on that kind of grind. But I knew that there was going to come a time when the opera houses wasn't going to be checking for me. And when I, if I was to be very honest with you, they weren't checking for me then. I was preparing for my outro mm-hmm. before my intro. Okay? Smart. And that is one thing I would also tell students. Always start looking at your second act before you even get into your first act so that you can have something to go towards. So when the opera companies are not checking for you, you can hire yourself. I created the show Opera from a sister's point of view. Okay. (laughs) And that was in the back of Janice Oldsmobile was the... um, Oh, when you guys were driving from Bloomington to... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. We sat so in the back been... seat and we just kept, we had a notebook, an yep. old fashioned notebook. Uh-huh. And, and scribbled it yes. all out. Scribbled and got it, it all out and start and talking about it. So smart. And, and thinking about the vignettes and how we would do it and yada, yada. And it had gotten to a point where it had stalled and I didn't quite know how to do it because you know how you want to do something, but you know, it's that, it's that, that hump pause, you got to get over just a little like, bit. And it's like, oh, yeah. I'm scared, I'm scared, I'm scared. And something said, just do it. And I did a concert, and I and just I was just me. I was just me. And it works. I mean, and that's just the truth. Mm-hmm. So I started opera from a sister's point of view out of sheer necessity because I wanted to be able to work between gigs. Then it became a big fish in a big pond. It really did because, I mean, it's gotten, and since, it continues. Mm-hmm. So it, it definitely still plays here oh, in Indianapolis yeah. a Anywhere. lot. Uh, you just recently did one, I think, uh-huh. uh, towards the end of 2019. That yeah. went over very, very well. Yes. Uh, but I've seen you in, in interviews about it on CNN, mm-hmm. uh, on other major national outlets. So this idea that you both had, thinking of your second act, at, you know, before the first right. one even starts, on this, this cross-country trip from Bloomington to Buffalo— clearly resonates uh, not just for the works themselves, but even how to think about a career completely, right? Exactly. And what opera from a sister's point of view does is to demystify opera for audiences that normally wouldn't go. And I thought that because I was singing on the stages of the world, looking out in the audience, I saw very few people that looked like me. And so I thought it was a black thing. I started doing opera from a sister's point of view. Found out white folks don't like opera either. It's about being exposed. (laughs) It is. It's about knowing. And if you know, then you can grow. But if you don't know, if you don't know you like a mushroom, don't be talking about you don't want to eat it. (laughs) Try it. (laughs) And then after that, hey. Then form your opinion. Then you can form your opinion. And that's the the key to it. It's Mm -hmm. accessible. Classical music in general, I think, kind of, we have to strip away this assumed elitism Mm -hmm. from it and be like, hey, it's just music. It's just fun. We all like it. So we actually have a a clip from your show that we're going to play, not just to give people an understanding of what what opera is like, but how do you actually begin to engage an audience so that they can know that opera is accessible and fun and doesn't have to be so highbrow and boring? You know, I began to learn about classical music when I was in school. And I also remember, anybody remember, oh, in the, in the late, mid-70s, mid-70s, Schoolhouse Rock on Saturday mornings, Confunction Junction, what's that function? And then sometimes that Saturday morning, you would see a beautiful African-American woman come on singing a song about the United Negro College Fund. Can anyone tell me who that was? Leontine Price. 
Preaching for the dreams that spell tomorrow. Another generation's coming on. I see America working harder every day to educate her people to live a better way. Now, wouldn't you like to feel another shoulder at the wheel? If you help me toe the line, you pull your weight and I'll pull mine. We want to give our best, please understand. We're not asking for a handout, just a could find me any Saturday morning running around the house singing high notes like Leontine Price. And I never knew that I had that dream to be an opera singer. I just wanted to be a singer. But it wasn't until, like I said, I started to study music and really delve into it that I found this passion. So I just want to share some of my passion with you all tonight. Is that all right? Yeah. All right. So there you have it, everyone. A little bit of passion from opera, from a sister's point of view. Angela, Janet, this truly has been so much fun because myself being a, a classical pianist who specializes in playing the masterworks written by people of African descent, to see someone and to see people who work with others uh, who give us a platform, mm -hmm. not just for black people and for melanated moments, but yes. just in the classical music world and the operatic world in general, it's tough. So to have that role model who's been there, done that, if y'all have been listening, you've gotten a graduate <laughs> level course. Masterclass. And how to figure this out. Yeah. And, and, and the takeaway being like, be too stupid to stop. Uh, and keep preparing mm -hmm. your stupidity to stop. Yeah. I think it's phenomenal. So I'm just saying, if you live in the Indy Metro area, you don't, it, you've got it good right here when it comes to this incredible human resource that I'm so happy <laughs> to call my friend. Oh. And uh, truly, truly, you are a mentor to me. And Janet, thank you. Thank you. And I'm a fan of yours. Well, we're going to talk about that on another podcast. <laughs> yeah. But I think we've run out of time. So let the love fest continue. I'm Joshua Thompson. <laughs> and I'm Angela Brown. And, and this, this has been, been Melanated, Melanated Moments, Moments in, in Classical, classical music. music. Melanated Moments in Classical Music is a production of Classical Music Indie. Our producer is Ezra Baker Trupiano. Our production intern is Albany Hart. Our theme music was composed by Laura Karpman. Melanated Moments in Classical Music is proud to partner with CAPA, the Coalition for African Americans in the Performing Arts, supporting Black classical musicians, opera singers, youth, and others in the performing arts by bringing color to the classics. Learn more at 4, that's the number 4, C-A-A-P-A -A -A dot O-R-G. Classical Music Indie Streaming and Podcasting is made possible by the Allen Whitehill Clues Charitable Foundation. Melanated Moments in Classical Music is proud to partner with Morning Brown Incorporated, working to bridge the gap between accessible live music programs and underserved individuals, schools, and communities. Where the offering of classical music is rare or the cost of experiencing classical music is prohibitive. Learn more at morningbrown.org.